from the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School. This is Career Talk on Business Radio. Here is your host, Dr. Don Graham. Welcome to Career Talk or Career Insider. We are here in Business Radio. We are powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM, Channel 132. Hey, if it's Thursday, noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific, we are live. Taking your calls right now at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. I'm your host, Dr. Don Graham. I'm the career director for the Wharton MBA for Executives program in Philadelphia. I'm also a licensed psychologist and former corporate recruiter. And Michelle and Danielle are in studio to help us with today's show. And that kind of rhymes. Back. I, it does rhyme, not even kind of. <laughs> Michelle and Danielle. I'm just going to say it all show now. <laughs> Dion's here too, to be fair. But. Yeah, and Dion's going to come in a little, a little later because I prepared a very fun quiz for Dion. And I'm just going to put this out there. If you would like to challenge Dion on this quiz and go one-to-one with him, Keep listening because you're going to have the opportunity to do that in today's very fun pizza quiz. Tune in. <laughs> you know how easy it is to beat Dion, so. <laughs> so 844 Wharton, 844-942-7866. Actually, it's going to be a lot of fun. So, hey, if it's Thursday, it's open calls. We're taking your calls right now on Career Talk. And, of course, we're taking your calls on any and all career topics that you want to speak about. So if you've got a question or tip, we'd love to hear from you. But today, we're very excited. We're going from the courtroom to the interview room with job search tips and career strategies taken from the expertise of a trial lawyer. From negotiating compensation to interviewing to building a strong brand, today's show you're going to hear lots of practical advice from an expert who's perfected these strategies in the courtroom. We welcome Heather Hansen, who is a trial attorney for over 20 years, and she's been named one of the top 50 female attorneys in Pennsylvania. She's anchor at lawandcrime.com, host of the Elegant Warrior podcast, and has appeared on NBC, CNN, MSNBC, and CBS, to name a few. Heather's also lectured at several prominent law schools, including right here at Penn. And her new book, The Elegant Warrior, How to Win Life's Trials Without Losing Yourself, is available now. We're very excited to have her on the show. Welcome to Career Talk, Heather. Thank you so much, Don. I'm so excited to be here. Uh, I'm so excited. And congratulations on your book. After reading it, I, I just I was blown away at how many similarities there are between a legal trial and the job search. Just the roller coaster of emotions, the pressure, the preparation, the adrenaline, and then the agony of waiting for a verdict. It's kind of like this yeah. parallel <laughs> process that's going on. Um, and one of the things I like about your book is that you share these real stories from from these tense trials that you've you've had to try. And um, the thing that comes through in every chapter is this idea that you you can't just be poetic. You have to prove things. You have to show proof beyond a reasonable doubt. And I think that is such a key thing we try and talk about in the job search is that, sure, you can talk about that you're a great communicator, that you're creative, that you, you have all of these leadership qualities, but employers want to see the proof. So So share a little bit about how proof makes the difference in the courtroom. Yeah, I mean, it's everything, Don. You know, you can't win your case without without proof. And you build that proof with credibility. You know, step by step, you set an expectation, you have to meet it. You make a promise, you have to keep it. And you have to you do that with evidence. So it is the exact same as when you're applying for a job. You can't just go in and say, I'm a great communicator. You have to have evidence to support everything that you say. You know, I learned that in the courtroom. And now I have to be honest, when I see marketers or authors or coaches make claims, I'm always thinking to myself, okay, show me the evidence. I want to see what you have to prove your point. Because if you don't have the evidence and the next applicant does, if I'm the employer, I'm going to be more likely to go with the person who can prove the things that they claim. Yeah, exactly. And um, I think that one of the things in the the courtroom is that that you have to have it. So that's not even an option. But I think a lot of job seekers, when they write a resume or they do their LinkedIn profile or they, you know, prepare for the interview, they they leave a lot of that stuff out. And it's like you've got to go in there and um, pretend that person doesn't know anything about what you bring to the table and you have to explain it to them in 
ways that show how you're going to make them successful if you get that job. Yeah, I think that a lot of times we assume that people are going to find us credible. And I never make that assumption in front of the jury. I have to earn their trust. And I have to do that by building something in front of them. The unfortunate thing for me in some of my trials and definitely for job applicants is sometimes it has to be done really quickly. You know, you don't have a ton of time to make that impression in your interview, but you have to do what you can to support everything that you're claiming, whether that be with a really good writing sample or with really good recommendations and referrals. Because in the same way that the jury is looking at you and not knowing you from the beginning, it is the same anytime that you step into a new experience at work. Yeah, I think I, I think everybody's got to read this book if they're going through a job search because the strategies <laughs> in there just parallel so perfectly to how you can essentially win your case if you're going up for a competitive job search in your near future. 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Hey, do you have a question about your job search? Or perhaps you're looking to make a career switch and you need to find evidence of how you can prove yourself against candidates who maybe have a traditional background. You're going to call on the right day because if it's Thursday noon Eastern, we're live and we're here with Heather Hansen, who is a trial attorney, one of Philadelphia's, actually one of Pennsylvania's top 50 attorneys, and she will help you prove your case. 844-942-7866. You're listening to Career Talk on Sirius XM Channel 132. And one of the things we had talked about, Heather, that I love is this this idea of jury selection and how much it parallels the interview in a lot of ways. So so when so can you explain a little bit to the audience about about what the process of jury selection is is like and what are some of the things that are going through your mind as you're you're deciding who to pick for that jury? Yeah, it's jury selection. I have a psychology degree and so jury selection has always been my favorite day of trial. First of all, it's not super stressful because you're just having one-on-one conversations. It's the only day that the lawyers get to ask jurors questions. The rest of the trial, we don't get to interact with the jurors verbally at all. And so it's the opportunity to ask them questions and to read them a little bit. So some of the things that I talk about in the book that I make it the point to do, it's usually about a day long. And I am sure to put down my phone. You know, I don't look at my phone at all while the jurors are in the room, not only because I don't want them to see me looking distracted, but more importantly, I want to be truly listening to their tone of voice because tone of voice can tell us more about a person's emotions than all of the senses combined. Yeah, I want to be paying attention. No, I read that in the presentation you did, and that kind of blew my mind. So I want to spend a second on that. Tell me more about that. Yeah, so I'm obsessed with tone of voice, and there's a study out of Yale. And if any of the listeners want any of this information, you can reach out to me on my website. I can send you any of the studies that we talk about. But this study, it's a recent one that showed that we can actually read more. If we're paying attention to the tone of voice, we can tell more about a person's emotion from the tone of voice than by all the other senses. And the reason that researchers think that this is true is because we have become conditioned to hide our facial expressions, to smile when we're feeling down. But our tone of voice is more honest. We're less conditioned to fake it. The other part about it is that usually if you're paying attention to tone of voice, you're all in. Whereas if you're having a conversation, sometimes, again, you're looking at your phone, you're not paying attention. So tone of voice is really important. And no one in this world has had or will have the exact same tone of voice as you do, Don. And so that's something that you want to use to your advantage and be aware of when you're communicating, whether that's me to the jurors or a job applicant to the potential employer. Yeah. And so and it's interesting because sometimes on the phone, that's all you have is tone of voice, whereas when you're in person, you have that body language, too. So, I mean, I think I think it's about thinking about the audience and how your medium of communication goes, because I think on the phone, I think a lot of people when they do phone interviews, here's the thing. If you've got a phone interview coming up, do practice and I dare say record yourself because people sound so different over the phone, a lot of times underwhelming, unfortunately, but yet they can be very engaging in person. And I think that's where a lot of people lose it. You really have to understand how you're being perceived. 844-942-7866. You're listening to Career Talk on Sirius XM channel 132. And we're going to go right to the phones today with Jack in Pennsylvania. Jack, welcome to the show. It's on your mind today. Hi. Yeah. I just wanted to ask a question on in, in the spirit of trying to prove uh, and demonstrate past behavior as a uh, future predictor of uh, future behavior, 
um, I've had some longevity in my resume throughout most of my career, being with you know uh, two companies for over a 12-year duration. The last three or four years, I've unfortunately had to um, ha- be with three different companies. None of them have actually worked out. So I, for the first time I heard in discussion with someone the other week is, hey, you know, your resume is starting to look a little choppy. I'm not sure if you're just going to jump, you know, six months, nine months in, uh, if you don't, if things don't start going your way. So, you know, I've tried to turn it around and and say, look, you know, I've just unfortunately been with some uh, smaller companies where things didn't work out. But uh, if you look at the balance of my resume, you can see there's clearly a a demonstration of uh, longevity with an employer. So what are some ideas maybe to prove out that further as, as I hear that objection from potential employers. Yeah, I definitely have some ideas for you, Jack. And it's 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 interesting because we're in a totally different climate. But I'm just so curious about you, Heather's like <laughs> assessment of this, because from a trial lawyer perspective, um, if if you were on the prosecution, Heather, and you were, were you were not like believing Jack, what are some of the things that would be going through your mind that you feel like he has to prove to you? Well, the thing that is interests me about what Jack's question is, if I have a piece of evidence that I know is the jury's not going to like, I often will lead with it because I don't want the other side to take advantage of it and put me at a disadvantage. So my first thought, Jack, is that perhaps you go in and say, you know, you'll see that the past few um, positions have not been long term. But before that, as you can see, I had these long term positions and I'm really looking to get back into something that can be my forever home or my close to forever home. The other thing that I would recommend is sometimes thinking outside the box to find that piece of evidence or that piece of proof. You know, if everybody's focused on the medical record, I might point them to the deposition. And you, Jack, might want to look at something outside of your work, like have you been in a club or played a certain sport, other things that you've committed to over a long period of time. So when that conversation comes up, you can point to pieces of evidence outside of the job arena that also prove your the fact that you're committed, that you're loyal, and that you stick with things. Oh, I love I love how you think, Heather. I love how you think. That's awesome. Um, so, yeah. So I think one is own it. I mean, I think when you're afraid of something, whether you've been laid off or you, you maybe feel in your case, Jack, you, you have a little bit of job hopping going on, then people tend to shy away or they tend to over explain or get defensive. But I think owning it and saying, look, yeah. Um, the last two years haven't haven't worked out as I wanted. And as Heather said, I'm looking to I'm looking to find my long term career and what opportunities are here to help me grow. So you're like deflecting it and putting it back on them. I love that strategy. Um, a couple of other things I would say to you, Jack, is we're moving into a time when obviously nobody is retiring from the same company and the average is 4.2 years in terms of a specific role. So it's not unusual for companies to be seeing more and more shorter stints at companies. And the fact is, you know, nine months, three times in a row may be a little bit of an eye raiser. But um, what you want to do is they're more interested in what did you do during that time? Did you accomplish something? So if you have accomplishments and you could say, you know, within that that nine months, I did X and it's impressive. That's kind of one of the things they're most interested in, too. So I'm not sure if that might be a strategy to use. And then lastly, what I would say is if you're getting stuck at the resume phase because people are just putting you in the no pile because they're looking at you like a job hopper. Remember, the resume is a marketing document. And if you were at a job, you know, four months, six months, you only have to put years. So you may just decide to leave that off if it's not a topic of discussion. What a company is most interested in is Will you come in, make me look good, get the job done, and produce results? So is it really important that you spent six months at a company where it just didn't work out? Do they need to know that information on your resume? Probably not. So so we've been we've been giving you like a lot of things that we're throwing at you, Jack. What are what are your thoughts? No, I like it. I mean, maybe could you elaborate more on um, how the, the resume being a marketing document? And would you say you you would just list maybe the, the job and, and the key accomplishments and wouldn't necessarily associate a time frame with that or, or just leave it off altogether? Or how would you, because, you know, no job's in less than 12 months, but I think, you know, that, that's been the lowest. It's been like 12, 18 months, three different jobs. So that's what they're, they're starting to see as a, as a bit of a choppy uh, look on the resume. So, yeah, how would you format that, so to speak, maybe to make it a little more uh, fluid? Yeah, so with the, talking about the resume being a marketing document, I, I think if you put jobs and not dates, that's going to, to me, look suspicious because I'm still going to ask you about it. But I think if you, say, ended a job in 
um, March of, of 2017 and then you, you were at an, the next job for a year and then you moved to the next job, I mean, you, you might be able to skip that middle job if you're only putting years on because it will be 2017 and your next job would have started in 2018, if that makes sense. So, so you're kind of leaving that out that you're not – you know, you're not you're you're not going to talk about that. It didn't work out, but you're obviously going to talk about all of the things that the company values, wants to hear, the accomplishments you have, and I think you can also use a summary at the top of your resume, which is key. If you don't have one, I recommend this for everybody because the way that somebody reads a resume is in an F pattern. So they read it across the top, then they read it down the left-hand side, and then maybe they read your most current job. So if you think about how we're reading resumes, what they're looking at is that summary. They spend four to six seconds max before coming to a a, um, conclusion as to do I want to keep reading this or do I want to toss it? And so that summary is where you can put all of your key accomplishments, your most impressive achievements that are relevant to the market that you're applying to. So it's it's not necessarily your greatest achievements. It's your greatest achievements that are most relevant because they see that and that becomes the lens through which they see the rest of the resume. So I think that also can be a really good strategy for you, Jack, if you don't have that. Do you have a summary on your resume? I do. And, and, I, and I, I actually, it's a little long. Maybe it's like six sentences. It, it is, I try to use compelling language. It feels like it's compact, uh, impactful, but I think that's good advice is where maybe I could tighten that up a little, make it more of uh, my accomplishments relevant to the particular job that's being applied for. Yeah. And no one wants to read a paragraph. No one wants to read a paragraph. So I might consider bullets. And what Heather mentioned earlier is, um, you know, definitely proving yourself. So look at the top three things the employer is looking for and then find an accomplishment that relates to each one that you can just smack them upside the head with right in that front and center of the resume. Because that's going to make me compelled to want to learn more about you and make me less focused on the fact that you've had, you know, two or three jobs over the past five years. So I think that's going to be where you want to spend your time. Thank you so much for giving us a call. Thank you. Jack, we really appreciate it. Call us anytime. We are here to answer these types of questions. And I think a lot of people have that question. So you've just helped many, many listeners. Hey, you're just... Tuning in, you're listening to Career Talk Series XM Channel 132. We are here live if it's Thursday, 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866, taking your calls all out. And we're very excited to have Heather Hansen, a trial attorney for over 20 years, with us here on air. She can help you think through things so that you can prove it with your employer and land the job and... She's also written a great book, so you can check that out, too. It's called The Elegant Warrior, How to Win Life's Trials Without Losing Yourself, 844-942-7866. So we were talking about jury selection, um, Heather. We talked about how important tone is. And um, in your presentation, I have to say, I, I don't know what this means, but but you wrote something about secrets of the bathroom. And so I just had to ask you what that meant <laughs> in your presentation. Does that, like, ring a bell? In that, in that book? No, no, not in the book. In the presentation that you you did with uh, that you had sent to me, and I'm just like, that's curious. I'm like, are oh. there? <laughs> oh my gosh, the presentation for my webinar. Yeah, I don't remember what that slide was for. I think it had to do with a specific question. But uh, for in you know, and one of the things in jury selection that we have to be careful of is not. It's sort of a different issue, but not talking in the bathroom because we're not allowed to talk about the case in front of the jurors. One of the things that that is sort of transferable is to make sure that you're being careful, like, for example, that on your social media and in the different places, being aware of your audience at all times, because the jurors are paying attention to you. And way too many times has it been the case where I've had a client who maybe hasn't held the elevator for someone or was less than lovely in line. And then it turns out that's a potential juror. And that often happens in the bathroom when there's um, some sort of an interaction. So you always want to be aware that the people that could be making a decision about your life 
are the ones that you're sitting next to in traffic or climbing the stairs next to. Yeah, and there's a lot of great stories on on the internet about that, about you know cutting somebody off in line only only to find out later that they're the person interviewing you, or um, you know being rude to somebody in the parking lot only to find out later that they're part of the decision making team. So it is it is really true that companies are paying attention. They're paying attention to how you treat the receptionist, to how you treat if you're going out for a lunch interview, how you treat the the staff there. They are paying attention. And you mentioned social media, Heather, which I'm glad you did, because I think a lot of people still believe they can be one person online and show up and be somebody else completely at their workplace or in an interview. And it's just not the case anymore. Even if you have your accounts locked down, even if you, you know, you, you keep it private, think about how connected our world. It is pretty easy to look and find somebody who's connected to that person and take a look at it. And I think something that people are really surprised to hear, Heather, uh, I get this question a lot when it comes to references. You know, they, they, they struggle to provide references, but then, of course, you want to pick the best references right. that you can because, let me tell you, a neutral reference might as well be a terrible reference. Mm, <laughs> if you can't yeah. find two or three people who can say glowing things about you, you're going to need to work on that because you don't want a neutral reference. But people are surprised that it's okay for an employer to go on LinkedIn and find people you're connected to and reach out to them for a reference, even if they weren't people that you put on right. your list. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's social media is such an interesting thing. There's oftentimes lawyers have other people in the courtroom helping them go through a prospective juror's social media as they're having a conversation with the juror. Um, I don't personally do that. I, I don't feel as though I feel like that's a bit of an intrusion, but I, you know, it's out there. And if it's out there, it's showing pieces of your personality. And one of the things that you mentioned, Don, that I think is so important in the workplace and in the courtroom is respect and respect for everybody from the secretary to the janitor. One of the things that we know that employees are yearning for is more respect in the workplace. And good employers are going to make sure that the people that they're bringing on are people that are going to be respectful up and down the chain of command. Mm hmm. Yeah, well said. 844-942-7866. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Career Talk, and we're live all hour long if it's Thursday, noon Eastern. And we're super excited to have Heather Hansen here, who is a trial lawyer and who is ready to put you to the test. Hey, are you brave enough to give us a call and see if you can prove <laughs> your case with Heather? Uh, we're here taking your calls, 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. I'm your host, Dr. Don Graham. And if you're looking to switch careers or maybe you're struggling to get past the interview or maybe you just can't get to a place where where you even get to the interview, let Heather have a shot at you because I bet, I bet she'll have some insights that you have not thought of eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. So we were talking about jury selection, but let's let's talk about um, first impressions because you have in the courtroom the ability to do um, an opening statement. How important is this to the trial? It is. It is everything. I mean, you know, there's laws. I, I know that you know this, but the laws of primacy and recency. The first thing that the jury hears, and the, the last thing that the jury hears are oftentimes the things that they most remember. And during the opening, it's your opportunity to first lay out your version of the facts. You know, one of the things when you were talking to Jack, the last caller, about the resume, I was thinking about the fact that we lawyers have to try to communicate something as many different ways as we can. So, you know, we often say that we want to say things seven times, seven ways. And the opening is your first opportunity to say that thing. And now you've got then you've got to say it with other witnesses and through other means. But the opening is your first opportunity to make eye contact with the jury Start building that credibility that's so important that we talked about. Start proving your case and also grab their attention. And all of those things can happen within the first few minutes that you get up and stand before the jury. Yeah, and I think this is the same in an interview. There's a lot of research that shows that that almost half of interviewers make a judgment in the first 90 seconds think about that the first 90 seconds so most interviews are maybe 45 minutes to an hour and they're making these these judgments and the fact is is that you know they may their initial impression may be incorrect but it's really difficult to overturn that if it's initially negative right 
Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, first impressions we know are vital. 90 seconds is a little bit scary. You want to make sure that you're walking in the room. And that's where body language, tone of voice, all of those things come to play. And as you pointed out, Don, when you're doing it on the phone, one of the things that I recommend to people when they're doing things on the phone, whether it be an interview or even a podcast or anything, is to stand up. Use your body and don't just sit hunched in front of your computer as you're having a conversation, especially if you're not on Zoom. You know, Mm -hmm. if it's sort of a Zoom call, you might have to sit in front of the computer. But if you have the opportunity to use your body, use your lungs, be conscious of your tone of voice, it's going to make that first 90 second first impression all the better. I totally agree. And and just to give listeners a little bit of depth into what is happening in these 90 seconds, um, failure to make eye contact is one of the biggest things that hiring managers cite as as a negative that people are not looking at them. Of course, what do you think? As a, I'm just as putting um, the, the lawyer hat on. What do you think as a lawyer when somebody doesn't make eye contact with you, Heather? Yeah, it's a problem. I mean, listen, from when we when I have a witness on the stand, I don't want them to make eye contact with me. I want them to make eye contact with the jury. And in fact, I'll give you one of the little secret tips here. If I'm cross-examining a witness, I want him to be looking as far away from the jury as possible. So I will position myself in the courtroom as far from the jury as I can so that that witness has to look at me or is inclined to look at me when he's answering the questions. That's how important eye contact is. Now, when it's my witness, say it's my doctor on the stand, I have her look at the jury as much as possible. I get as close to the jury as the judge will allow me to, to, so that that eye contact, that connection can be made throughout the course of her testimony. I love how strategic this is. And I think I think the fact is that everyone listening, if you're thinking, oh, this is this is over the top for the the, the job search or the job interview, it is so not. As I've, I say <laughs> a lot on this show, that it's any interaction between humans has a psychological component. And when you can recognize that and take time to strategically use it to your advantage, you're, you're going to get every um, you're going to get every advantage in the process. And when you wing it, we can tell. And a lot of people who are paying attention to these other strategies are going to get the job. It's not the most qualified person who gets. It's the person who yeah. plans, practices and prepares for all of these things and thinks through it. 844-942-786. I'm your host, Dr. Don Graham. You're listening to Career Talk on Sirius XM Channel 132, and we are here with Heather Hansen, who is an attorney and author, talking all about how you can use strategies from the courtroom to land the job. And we're talking about first impressions right now. And, you know, another thing that when an interviewer makes a decision in this first 90 seconds that they're focusing on is how you're dressed, Heather. So, mm. so is this, a, is this something that, that you pay attention to in the, in the courtroom? Is it important? Oh my gosh. Are you kidding me? Yeah, it is. It is of vital importance. I mean, you know, one of the things is lawyers are conservative. We wear suits and um, you know, a lot of times back when I first started, some judges didn't like us to wear pantsuits, but I've always lean towards pantsuits because I need to be able to move freely around the courtroom, bend over, get into boxes, really be able to climb around the, the different boxes that I have and still look like I am a conservative, prepared lawyer. Same thing. And it's really interesting that you bring this up, Don, because sometimes the, the judges will ask us to speak to the jurors afterwards. And I had one case that was like a three-week trial. I was the only woman in the case. All the other lawyers were men. And when we went back to talk to them, they had a lot of questions about my choice about, like, why do you wear pantsuits and why do you always wear your hair? I always wear my hair in a ponytail, um, which I thought was interesting. A lot of people think that that's, you know, that's sexist. I don't think so. I think that it's understandable that they'd be curious if there's only one of me in the courtroom. Um, but I do consistently wear clothes that are going to be make an impression of seriousness, of respect for them and for the process and for the courtroom and for the judge and then also with the ability to do my job comfortably. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is it is critical and I you know I know you point this out in your book you you spend a lot of time on it and it's it's not about being trendy. As a matter of fact, um, the study shows that people who are are too trendy in an interview that could actually be a negative against them. So it's mm-hmm. it's they they're looking for people who fit the culture. So, you know, if you're wearing a three-piece suit to a startup 
that could actually be a negative where if you're wearing it to a bank, that's probably a positive. So it's again, knowing your audience, knowing what, yeah. what, what the visual of you conveys, I guess is the best way to say it. No, that's it. And it's the preparation. You know, it's, it's just like from my trials, you know, two years of preparation for two days of trial sometimes. The preparation of knowing what the culture is at the place where you're doing an interview. Yeah. And one of the things I really took away when reading your book is the ridiculous amount of preparation that trial <laughs> lawyers go through. And I mean, I think you, you talk about specific cases in there, which I find fascinating. But I think there is a case in there where where basically the the expert on the stand, um, you know, wrote all of these articles proving a point. But then when they got on the stand, they're like, no, I don't mm. agree with that. And you went through like article by article by article. But didn't you say this? Didn't you? Like, I mean, I had to take a ridiculous amount of time, Heather. It, well, listen, it does, but it's worth it. You know, you do. So a lot of these experts will have written, they will have given deposition, have done TV interviews on these medical issues. And it's incumbent upon me to have looked at every single thing they've done, because if not, I'm not doing the best for my client. And then, I mean, it, the, the great is when the jury actually had, because the expert, as I described in the, in the book, in that case, the expert was just absolutely contradicting everything he had ever said in all of the medical literature. So it's time well spent, but that preparation is not the most fun at one o'clock in the morning, you know, many, many weeks before trial. Yeah, it, it would be the equivalent of me saying on, on the stand, I don't believe in networking in the job search. And then, you know, people <laughs> like looking at just about everything I've I've produced <laughs> in my life and being like, that? Exactly. Yeah, I don't even know how people think they're getting away with that. Hey, 844 you're listening to Career Talk on SiriusXM Channel 132. And hey, speaking of networking, if you haven't listened to my TEDx talk, that's all about networking. So you might want to check that out. But right now, we're going to go to our pre-break quiz. Quiz. There's a quiz? Yes, there's always a quiz, and we have a very special situation today. So what we're going to do, for those of you who know our pre-break quiz, is we are going to give you the opportunity to challenge Dion. I have five questions about pizza, so it's a very neutral topic. And if you want to challenge Dion in our pizza quiz, you can give us a call, 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. So on average, Americans eat about 3 billion pizzas each year. So we should we should all be pretty knowledgeable about this topic. And I'm going to give you a little teaser question just to get started. What is the biggest day for pizza sales? If you think you know, 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. And if you want to challenge Dion, give us a call right now. Michelle is manning the phone. 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. You're listening to Career Talk. We'll be right back. You're listening to Career Talk on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Here again is Dr. Don Brand. Welcome back to Career Talk. And you know Danielle's manning the, the engineer block when yes. it's Eminem. She knows I love Eminem. Hey, 844-Wharton, 844-942-7866. You're listening to Career Talk. I'm your host, Dr. Don Graham. And hey, if you haven't checked out my new book, Switchers, How Smart Professionals Change Careers and See Success, you can find it on Amazon. And we're very excited today because we are talking all about how you go from the courtroom to the interview room with a trial lawyer who is sharing all of her insider tips so that you can be as competitive as possible in the job search. So we are talking with Heather Hansen, who is a trial lawyer for over 20 years, named one of the top 50 female attorneys in Pennsylvania. And she also has a great book, The Elegant Warrior, How to Win Life's Personal Life's Trials Without Losing Yourself, which is also available online. Heather, um, we're so excited you're here. How can people reach you if they want more information after the show? They can email me at heather at heatherhansonpresents.com. That's with an E-N, heather at heatherhansonpresents.com. That's my website as well. I do a video blog every Thursday morning to my email list, and that goes up on the website as well. I'm on Twitter at I'm, I am Heather Hansen, and on Instagram at the same. Fantastic. And just in case you didn't hear the pre-break quiz, 
before the break, we're talking all about pizza. And Dion has joined us in studio. How's it feel to be on this side of the glass, Dion? It's weird. It's weird? I'm used to being um, on, on that side of the glass with the board in front of me. This, yeah. is, this is a little awkward. So you, you can't talk about me because I can actually hear you <laughs> talking about me if you say it here. But hey, if you want to challenge Dion to a pre-break quiz pizza challenge... You can give us a call at 844-WARDEN, 844-942-7866. And so before the break, I did a teaser. What is the biggest day for pizza sales? And so this is just a practice question, Dion. This is a practice question. This is a practice question. I'm going to say the Super Bowl. Right. 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 Okay. Ding, ding. And Michelle got it right, too. So you're feeling <laughs> confident, which is good because we, no, have, that's never good. we have Chuck on the phone from Texas who is called to challenge you. Oh, boy. Chuck, welcome to Career Talk. Chuck. Dion just stole my Super Bowl thunder. Oh, well, well that's okay. It's, sure, Chuck. Yeah. <laughs> There's many more questions I've... where that came from. <laughs> so I, I think okay. the best way to do this is to, to just yell out. Right. <laughs> okay. Like, I don't, uh, Sudden that death. would have been my last preference. <laughs> okay. But, okay. okay. <laughs> so how should we do this then? I don't know how else to do it. Um, we could do fake buzzers. Yeah, but like it, like Chuck Dion doesn't... does a meet me and um, oh, Chuck okay. does good. something else. Good. I okay, like Dion's this. Dion's not going to meet me. Right, <laughs> okay. Chuck can meet me. <laughs> Chuck, can you meet me for okay. us? Meet me. Yes. Oh, that's good. Okay, He's Dion, good. what's your buzzer, cool guy? Uh. I'll 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 beep beep. No, that's too no, much. You have like to do meep, it. Meep. Okay. Oh, okay. Um, honk honk. Okay, perfect. This already isn't going well. Okay. This is going swimmingly. Okay, so we got meep meep and honk honk and ready. I have questions. I have five <laughs> questions. I also have a tiebreaker. I'm very prepared for this. How do you write, wrote me into doing things like this. All right. <laughs> I don't know, Dion. I, don't, I wrote this just for you. All right. Are you ready? We're yes. going to start off with. Um, what U.S. state has the most pizzerias? Hong Kong. Yes. Illinois. I almost said Chicago. Okay. Well, <laughs> since Dion got it wrong, Chuck, you don't even have to say meat meat. <laughs> you can just give us an answer. <laughs> I have a backup answer, I'm going to guess Texas. Really? I've got a second guess. All right. Second guess. New York. Chuck, do you have a second guess? <laughs> <laughs> California. There you go. I think Chuck won that one. Even though really? it was very meep, painful. Meep. All right. <laughs> <laughs> meep, meep. <laughs> okay. Which U.S. state has the least pizzerias? Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. Alaska. <laughs> no. That no. was a good answer, though. That's a good answer. answer. That was a good answer. It's a good answer, but it's wrong. Chuck. Chuck's got a good strategy. He waits for Dion <laughs> to give the wrong answer. I like your strategy, Chuck. How about, uh, how about Wyoming? You know, that's the second least. So I'm going to give it to you because. Wait, what? <laughs> okay. Anytime I get. Montana next. No, it's the second most. Arkansas is the first. But. They should have more wow. pizza. Yeah, I'm just saying. Um, okay. Ready? Wait, wait. There's yeah. more pizza in Alaska than Arkansas? Look, I, I just. <laughs> this is what the internet says. I just go no, by what. You know me. Oh, boy. Everything Wikipedia. on the internet is real. It is. It is. And I've, I've gotten into the habit of looking it up on multiple sites, but what I've realized is I think one site posts it and then, yeah, and then other everybody ones... else. Just yeah, so that's everybody... bad strategy. Bad strategy. Everybody else does <laughs> Everybody else does the same thing you do. I know. <laughs> okay. Okay. How many slices does the average American eat annually? Oh, wow. Honk, honk. Yeah. I'll give you if you're within five. Okay. Annually, there's like eight in a pizza. You're not eating a whole pizza. Probably two. Um, I'm going to say 200. Holy Hannah. <laughs> Dion eats 200 <laughs> slices of pizza a year. I thought that might have been too high. I was guessing. It's a little high. <laughs> a little high. It's a little high, Chuck. <laughs> a little high. Okay. I'm going to say 199. Oh, this is like the price is right. It's 46. Like, I, who's eating 200 slices of pizza? I think 46 is 46. a little low. I mean, Danielle, I think you eat more than that. I, I could definitely, low. I could eat a whole pie. In fact, Deanne's like two slices. I'm like, please. Please. Yeah. All right. 
Uh, you're ordering a lot of pizza. I don't know. Uh, Michelle, I hope you're keeping score because I've, I've been forgetting to do that. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> I think Chuck's winning. I've, I've got them all right so far. All right. Okay. What is the <laughs> second the second most popular topic? Topping. Sorry. Second. Most honk, popular. honk. Yeah. So I know it's not pepperoni because that's got to be the most popular. I'm going to say sausage. You're right. There you go. Holy Hannah. That's really good. Yeah, pepperoni is overwhelmingly the most by 36% of Americans, followed by sausage at 14%. Only 8% choose cheese only. Well, because you got to have some, you, you got to add extra flavor. So, yeah. So, I think there's that's that's two for Chuck and one for Deanna. I don't think anybody no, got think the slices. I got two. No, I got he got two. two. I got two. We're tied. This is the tiebreaker. Oh, all right. Oh, boy. Sudden death. Sudden death. All right. What's the most popular pizza chain? Meet me. Yeah. Dom- Domino's. No. Oh, that was that was a good answer because I was going to say Pizza Hut. Is that your answer? Yes. That is right. Dion wins. Dion wins. I need some no. sort of Dion wins song. <laughs> I think I think Chuck should should sing you one then. There you go. <laughs> He's been warming up with the meat mix. <laughs> yeah, no, I Chuck, you played a good game. You played a good game. I'm really impressed with the Wyoming because that was second. That was a tough one. Um, I'm not sure who's eating 199 slices of pizza. <laughs> it's me. It's um, me. Aside from Danielle, but uh, here was here was my my other tiebreaker. Where where where, where? is the highest grossing independent pizzeria located? Hong Kong. Yeah. New York. It's got to be. They love their pizza. No, see, this is why I had to say it, because you're not going to believe it. Do you, you have a guess, Chuck? Um, New Hampshire. It is not New Hampshire, but it's equally as not expected. <laughs> Anchorage, Alaska. Independent Uh-oh. pizza shop. I know. Where, where is all this pizza in Alaska? It's, it's at a place called Moose Pub. So if you ever go to <laughs> yeah, I'm not buying. Alaska. I'm I'm not getting pizza from anywhere with most of the name. All right, well, that's fair. that's not a thing. <laughs> fair. Well, Chuck, thank you so much for giving us a call on Career Talk and playing our pizza challenge with Dion. Since I- you, yeah, since since you you weren't engineering the show today, we had to find another to way to, to involve now. you. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know you're busy, so we will we will let you go back to work, knowing that you are the the winner. That's Win- right. Winner, winner, pizza dinner. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Chuck, thank you so much. You did an awesome job. Danielle, Michelle, you make the show so fun. 844-Wharton, 844-942-7866. Dion wins the pizza challenge, and Danielle eats 200 slices of pizza a year. We've learned so yes, much. Yes, I do. <laughs> You're listening to Career Talk Series XM Channel 132, and today we are talking all about how a trial lawyer can prepare you to be competitive in the job search and we have a very special guest heather hansen who is not only a trial attorney for the last 20 years but has been named one of the top female attorneys in pennsylvania and has been inducted as a member of the american college of trial lawyers she's also an anchor at long crime host of the elegant warrior podcast and has appeared on several news channels so we're so excited to have here her here today sharing all the tips from her book the elegant warrior how you can be competitive. So we've been talking, Heather, about first impressions. And I want to spend a little bit more time on this because one of the things that you can almost guarantee you're going to be asked in a job interview is tell me about yourself. Tell me about yourself in some form or fashion is going to be asked. And I think a lot of job seekers look at this as a softball question. They don't think too much about it. But this is your first impression. This is your opening statement. And, right. and I think it's so critical. So what are some of the things that, as a job seeker you want to portray in, in this opening statement? I think in the same way as what we've been talking about, you want to be sure that your body language and your tone of voice are relaying confidence and comfort with the entire experience and with what you're saying. But I think that as far as the substance, you want to lead with those things that make you most credible, the things that you're there to prove. So whether that be a big success that you had in your last uh, last position or some skill that you have that you know will apply to this particular role, you want to show your preparation and you want to show your proof. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think a lot lot of people go in and they either 
speak too much. So they speak for four to five minutes as the interviewer's eyes are glazing mm. over and they yeah. or they, they don't say enough or they focus on maybe personal things, which, yes, you're there to build the relationship. But I tell people, pretend this is the only question you'll get asked. Just pretend this is the only opportunity you have to put something on the table. What would you want to make sure that interviewer knew about you if this was the only question. And that can be a really great guide to what you want to include in that opening statement. And I assume it's it's similar in a trial. Yeah, without a doubt. And the other thing, you know, you said about talking for four minutes and then the person's eyes glaze over, questions are such a fabulous way to make an impression, Don. You know, you don't want to lead with a question right away. Tell me about yourself and ask a question. But you do want to show some interest in the person you're talking to. You know, there's a great book called The CEO Next Door that talks about the value of questions and the fact that the person who asks the most questions in any interaction is often seen by the most intelligent as the most intelligent. So, you know, one of the things that I would recommend doing in interviews is using questions. At trial, we use questions to challenge and to prove ourselves and to create relationships. And you can use questions in the same way in a job interview. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is about building that relationship. And I think a lot of people go in and they expect it to be an interrogation and very one-sided. But I think one of the Mm -hmm. things about building a relationship is, is having dialogue. And you're right. There's a lot of research that shows you're more likable when you're curious. In the dating world, you get more second dates if you ask more questions on the first date. So it yeah. is about this relational aspect. And if you make it to the interview, chances are you have the the foundational skills. And now what it's about is, do I get along with you? Can I stand working with you for 40, 50 hours a week? And so that relational piece is so critical. 844-942-7866. You're listening to SiriusXM Channel 132. This is Career Talk. I'm your host, Dr. Don Graham. And we're excited to have Heather Hansen here all hour. If it's Thursday, noon Eastern, we are live taking your calls right now. 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Something else you talk about in your book, Heather, that I love is called The Curse of Knowledge. Can you explain this? I think it's so relevant relevant to the job search as well. So I wanted to make sure we touched on it. Well, it's it's based in something that came out of Stanford, a study that they did where they it's sort of like playing the game Name That Tune. And the person who knows the tune knows the tune so well that it's really hard for them to understand that the guesser doesn't know it. And in that same way, we have the curse of knowledge about various things. So the majority of my cases are medical malpractice cases. The doctors that I represent have the curse of knowledge about medicine. They know medicine and medical terms so well that they forget what it's like not to know it. But the jury doesn't know it. And if they're talking to the jury with that vocabulary, using their, those words, they're never going to connect. You know, one of the things that jur- that lawyers often say is that if you say one word that a juror doesn't understand, they're not even hearing the next 10 words you say because their brain is trying to process that word. And again, that applies if you're talking to your employer or your employee and you're using language that they're not familiar with, you're going to lose the opportunity to communicate because some of those words are going to be distracting them from actually listening to the rest of what you're trying to say. Mm-hmm. And we see that a lot, Heather, with career switchers. So somebody comes in and they're looking to make a career switch, but they're using language from their 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 former industry or their f- former company or acronyms that the new employer doesn't understand. And what that actually does is distances you from the other person who, on the one hand, may be trying to figure out what you're talking about, but then may just zone out altogether and just determine you're not the person for this job because I don't see how you fit here. And so, you know, if you're in the military and you're looking to switch into a corporate role, use the language of corporate. If you're, you know, instead of saying platoon, you can say team. If you're moving from an educational institution into a um, corporate arena, don't talk about lesson plans. Talk about, you know, your agenda or your, your, um, you know, your strategy, your strategic plan. And I think it makes such a difference. And this is where the preparation that you talked about earlier in the show, Heather, makes so much of a difference. Because let's just face it, if, if you're doing these things, you're going to have more of an opportunity to connect with the interviewer. And we know likability plays a role. Likability plays a role in getting hired. Does it play a role in the courtroom, too? Oh, my gosh. Absolutely. You know, it's, I think credibility comes first, but likability is a close second. You know, there's, there's 
a lot of people that see trial as theater, and you want to make sure that you do everything you can to show the jury how likable your client is and how likable you are. It's, you know, you don't want to be the one who is making them wait. You don't want to be the one who is being obnoxious to one of the witnesses, especially if it's a witness. In my case, you know, sometimes the patients have catastrophic injuries, and it's a very fine line that I have to walk between cross-examining that person and challenging their version of the facts without challenging who they are as a person. I might want to take away their story, but I never want to take away their dignity. And I think that the jury respects that and they find that likable. You know, we're all human beings, whether it's in the courtroom, the boardroom, or the interview room. And ultimately, you want to work with people. You want to help people that you like and trust. Mm-hmm. Well said. 844-942-7866. You're listening to Career Talk on Sirius XM Channel 132. I'm your host, Dr. Don Graham. We're here with Heather Hansen, who is the author of How um, the Elegant Warrior, How to Win Life's Trials Without Losing Yourself. And we're talking all about how the strategies in the courtroom translate to the job search. And so we talked about first impressions. We talked about the the curse of knowledge, which I think is, is such a huge one. We talked about um, jury selection and body language and tone. One of the things you talk about in your book is don't fake it to make it show it till you grow it so as we're wrapping up heather what do you what do you mean by that show it till you grow it (laughs) you know i i'm a big fan of amy cuddy's work and you know the whole presence and body language and that posing to create something inside of yourself but i don't like the term fake it till you make it because i don't think people want to be fake i think it's a word that sort of turns people off as as much as we focus on authenticity but the truth is in those situations you're not faking it you're showing it you find that little piece of something inside of you and then you start to show it and it gets the attention it needs to grow. So whether that be a little bit of confidence in the way that you do a certain task, show that and your confidence will grow. If it means some compassion for someone that you might be on the other side of an argument, show that and the compassion will grow. The more that you put those little things out there, the more that they get the sun, the water, the, the nutrients that they need in order to grow. And that's not being fake. That's just allowing that little thing inside of you to see the sunlight so that it can shoot up. Yeah, and I think that's so important because I imagine in the courtroom that you can tell very quickly, especially as you're assessing for credibility, whether someone's being genuine or not. Absolutely. And, you know, some people, I tell the story of one particular doctor that I represented who was very gruff. And the temptation is to say, listen, be nice, smile, you know, be more charismatic. But if I had told him to do that, the jury would have hated him. It would have come off as completely phony. Instead, I said, because I knew that he cared very much about his patient. And I said, just just be yourself and tell them why you did what you did and how much you care. And the jury loved him, despite the fact that he was sort of growling at the patient's attorney because they really saw how much he cared and how much he had thought about the treatment plan that he had done. So it's really important that we be authentic and yet show those parts of ourselves that's going to put us in the best possible position. Yeah, I think when we talk about brand, a lot of people get a little bit nervous because that, you know, we say, what, what, what is your brand and what do you want people to experience with you? And they think, oh, that's not being very genuine if I'm trying to have people think about me a certain way. But it's really not about that. It's about exactly what you're saying, Heather, which is find parts of yourself that translate into um, what that person's looking for because we're all so complex and we all have several different qualities skills, uh, abilities inside of us. And I think when we start to know our audience, we can then start to look inside of us and say, which of these qualities are going to be most marketable or most um, relevant to what that audience pain, audience's pain points are and use those and put those in the forefront and put some of the others in the back. So it's totally about being genuine. And that's the best way to build relationships and connect with people. Heather, it's been so wonderful having you on Career Talk. One last time, where can people learn more about you? HeatherHansenPresents.com. It's Hansen with an E-N. You'll see my blogs, my speaking, my book. Everything is linked up there. My podcast, everything is linked up there. That's where they can go. Fantastic. Thank you so much for being on the show today, Heather. It's been a lot of fun. Of course, Michelle and Danielle and Dion, I know you're out there listening. Thank you. Chuck, you did a great job on on the quiz. And uh, of course, to all of our listeners and callers, we're here on Career Talk each week for you on SiriusXM 132. And hey, if you want more information, you can also follow me on Twitter at Dr. Don Graham. But we're signing off for now. You've been listening to Career Talk, SiriusXM Channel 132. And we'll see you next time.